eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. We're back for our first episode of 2021. We made it past 2020, and it's an interesting episode. We're going to take one final look at the 2020 season and also combine the news that has broken since the season ended. I think we also have a debut of a new segment. That might just be a one-time thing. Chris will explain it. It's a Chris Trevino production, so you know it'll be good. So we'll get into that. As a reminder, be sure to follow us where you get your podcasts. Subscribe. Leave us five-star ratings. It helps us out. And you can email us questions or submissions to the podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Alrighty, let's not waste any time and get straight into it. Shotgun, stock up. Who you got? The obvious answer for stock up is Kerry Colbert. Wait, Kerry Colbert? Yes, Kerry Colbert. Why? Because besides Clay Helton, Kerry Colbert is the only one to survive the Notre Dame overhaul. Now, it took three years to do it, but finally USC has done the actual overhaul where they've changed the entire staff, which they said they were going to do a couple years ago after the 5-7 and seven season. Instead, they finally now got to that with, uh, you know, with the replacements that they've now made. Uh, with Tim Drevno being out and, you know, Aaron Osmus, the strength and conditioning coach, they still got to find the, the hires there. But as far as paid assistance, Kerry Colbert remains the only one to make it through the last two seasons for USC. So he's on stock up. What would that trophy even look like? <laughs> if you give that trophy to someone, what what is it? I don't like the last one out the door, closing the door. I don't know. What does that look like? <laughs> I don't know if there's a trophy for that. However, there is still a paycheck for it. it. It's interesting that we've seen assistant coach after assistant coach after assistant coach come in and out of the doors, uh, but there's not been a change made up top. So Kerry Colbert is the one guy that stuck around, so he's on my stock up. What do you guys think? Someone on the P noted that Clay has fired 14 assistant coaches. I went to the list. I'm sure I'm missing a couple because I only can come up with 11. I'm sure you guys have been on the beat longer. But you have T. Martin as OC, a wide receiver coach, a tight end coach in Baxter, two O-line coaches, Drevno and Callaway. Baxter's a special teams coach. Clancy and Wilcox as DCs. Bradford and Burns as DB coaches. Linebacker, Nansen, and then two D-line coaches in uh, BKU and Chad. That's 11. You're counting them individually. You also, you also have Keith Hayward and... Um... 
Chris Wilson, who was the okay. D line coach and the okay, DB coach. Go. But yeah, you know, you've gone through a number of defense. I mean, a number of defensive coaches, a number of offense coaches, uh, or you know, moving guys around. John Baxter went from tight ends coach to just special teams, back to tight ends. Um, you know, there's just been a ton of changes, and they haven't found the secret sauce. The only positions not eliminated yet has been a running back coach and a QB coach. Just putting it out there. Were you guys surprised at all by the moves itself? I know Aaron Osmus, that was a contract thing. They didn't want to renew his contract. And then the irony of letting go of Tim Drevno, he has back-to-back probably first rounders. Um, what, what do you make of that? I, I wasn't really surprised because, as you know, I asked you guys earlier, over-under on three uh, assistant uh, coaching changes this offseason. We're at two right now. So I, I foresaw some stuff coming, um, and I was figured it was going to be on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, big circle around the O-line has been a real thorn in the side of USC fans. So I'm not surprised that, you know, Drebno and them parted ways. I was a little bit, just a tiny bit surprised about Osmus because it seemed like the players really bought into him and they liked him. Uh, but again, that wasn't like a premier hire that was made. That was like a last second hire that uh, Helton had to make uh, Hail Mary to get that going. So yeah, uh, Osmus felt like, you know, a last second, oh, we need to put somebody in this position kind of deal. So I'm not actually that surprised in the end that, you know, it was time to move forward with this new administration and getting, you know, an upgrade at that, at that position, at that important uh, job. Yeah, I completely agree with Chris. You know, it, it seemed like that, Going into this year, you didn't know if there would be any movement at all in college football, just with the pandemic and the budget uh, constraints and everything that the college football programs, athletic departments are going through. But to see, you know, head coaches being fired in certain spots and, you know, big buyouts going on there. Once you saw that, then it became, OK, well, we'll see if USC will make a make a move as well. Uh, the offensive line obviously has struggled to run the ball. So, and we always thought that Tim Drevno wasn't a great fit as far as scheme wise there, you know, just ha- having not coached the, the air raid offense before, you know, it was kind of a interesting move to make initially there. And the same thing with Aaron Osmond. It was like Chris said, it was kind of a last minute thing. So with his contract being up with a new athletic director and, and, and staff there, you know, do they want to make their mark? Do they think they could do better than Aaron Osmus? You know, that seems to be what it comes down to in, in that one. Um, so not a huge surprise, but I, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit surprised just in a, you know, overarching look at it, just being in a pandemic and, you know, deciding to, to spend a little bit more money and make some moves there. Uh, but we'll see what comes out of it. If USC does hire someone that, you know, feels like it's a better fit for them going forward we'll see what the hires look like when they finally make those and to add on to shotgun's point about fit what i gathered was that it really was one of those things where not only did drevno not really fit with the scheme but just kind of chemistry wise with the staff i had heard that there were just they just didn't really gel well um and recruiting wise he wasn't a fit either they i from what i gathered he just wasn't bringing the same energy i think we've seen the new staff kind of bring to the recruiting process that usc has uh, this past year. So I think fit was the biggest thing for Drevno. And I know USD fans get kind of frustrated because they're like, well, if you're moving all the pieces, why not move the main piece? Which I understand, but one, they're, they're kind of handcuffed by circumstances greater than um, out of their control, but also they just want to make 
everything around you as the foundation better while still looking ahead to the future. Does that make sense? Like they're not going to just let everything rot just because Clay Helton is still there. No, I think that's a good point. And what you, I, you mentioned what I was going to hit on just the recruiting sense that, that fans were unhappy of the, what Drebno was doing in that area. USC hasn't signed a consensus four-star offensive lineman since 2019. And that was technically Neil Calloway's signing and Jason Rodriguez. So the last Six offensive linemen they have signed these last few cycles. None have been a consensus four-star. They've all been three-star or lower. You know, Jonah Monheim was a four-star in the composite. But this is USC. You want – O-line is about projection. There's a lot of guys that, that they've signed that I like, you know, their frame, and I like how they could develop once they get in the weight room and the weight training and all that, getting a college meal. But you still need to sign those marquee offensive linemen. You need to be able to bring in a couple every year to help smooth that – that transition along as you have these three star guys that are developing for the future. Yeah, I completely agree with, with Chris on how you've got to, you know, stack the offensive line classes and they haven't been able to do that. They've missed out on their bit, their top targets, you know, the Kingsley Suamatias and, you know, the, the Pene Sewells of the world, the Jackson Carmans, the Sean Ryans, all those guys that I've, you know, we've mentioned ad nauseum that they missed out on in the classes before, which is why they had to take such a big class of projectable guys uh, this past year. So we'll see how that ends up working out. It could work out from great, uh, but they've got to put it out there and they've got to produce on the field. And, you know, that's a, you know, they're a long way away from that right now. So we'll see. Now you're replacing a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker at left tackle after replacing Austin Jackson. We don't know for sure that all the seniors are coming back. We expect them to, but they don't necessarily, you know, they could decide that, you know, they're ready to move on with their careers and something else if they really want to. So, you know, are you going to have to replace some more guys in the offensive line? We'll see how that kind of plays out the rest of the offseason. But the offensive line has to get better. Um, And when you're not recruiting at a great clip and your offensive line is not producing, whether it be, you know, Keaton Slow is getting hit. A, a good amount and being knocked out of games last year and not being able to run the ball this year, then, you know, that's when you go, okay, we got to make a move. And I think that's kind of how it, how it went. It, it's interesting that you talk about fit Keeley and, and it sounds like it's kind of a DJ Mosky, uh, you know, USC's basketball uh, DJ old school versus new school, which one you got old school versus new school. Cause that's the only bit that he does all the time. Uh, but you know, that's kind of how it feels where you have a, a lot of younger guys. You have guys like Seth those, you have John David Baker that came with Graham Harrell that are more Graham Harrell hires. You have Mike Jinx, who's a younger guy uh, as well, as far as, you know, just he, he's been in the air raid and he has a better fit there. So I think that, you know, those guys are talking all the same language. And maybe Tim Drevno wasn't. So I think that's where you see that, where it's a little bit different. And I think you would have seen the same thing if Neil Calloway was still there or some of the, you know, the the old school offensive line coaches that you kind of have. You know, it's a different type of offense. It's kind of a newer, the air raid's a little bit newer, we'll say, offense. Um, so, you know, how does some of those old school offensive line coaches kind of fit in? That's kind of the question. So we'll see where they go with this hire. And if they get a younger guy or someone who has a lot of error rate experience, or if they just try to go out and find the best, best offensive line coach and try to make the fit work, we'll see exactly how they kind of go about it. I know it doesn't seem like we started with stock up, but we did. So Chrissy D, who else do you have for stock up? I know that this stock up is, you know, this segment is, Big picture stuff, but mine's kind of individual, and I wanted to throw out stock up on Dante Williams because last time we talked, you know, he got that bump to associate head coach. He landed two, helped land two major, major recruiting pieces for this 21 class in Sierra Wright and Corey Foreman. 
And then he landed one, another one 48 hours later in Fabian Ross for the 2022 class, a four-star cornerback out of Las Vegas. And then Damani Jackson has set his recruit his uh, commitment date for the end of this month. And, and uh, Williams has been a big major lead guy for Damani Jackson, top five, uh, top 10 player in the country, five-star quarterback, big local guy. So it could be even better by the end of the month for uh, Dante Williams and his quarterbacks. I think they developed really nicely over the 2020 season. So I think it's just been a great year and some change for uh, uh, Dante Williams since he's come aboard uh, USC. So stock up on him. To kind of tack on to that, I had USC's defensive backs as stock up. I thought that group really proved themselves this year. And I think it's a credit to Dante Williams and Craig Nivar. I think that we saw growth um, from both the corners and the safeties and Todd Orlando talked about it a lot about how he was able to scheme based off the fact that he could trust his corners and put them on islands. And so I think we have to give stock up to the defensive backs as a whole, because they really improved uh, their stock and just how they're perceived. So stock up for them and stock up for the defensive back coaches. Cause I thought that was a big boost for USC and its defense this season. I had stock up on someone who maybe, you know, was able to take advantage of those defensive backs and Vic Soto. You know, I think the defensive line played really well, and a big part of that is the help that they received from the blitzers and the fact that the DBs were playing so well on the back end. Um, but I think Vic Soto was he was more of a question mark coming into this. I think you had a little bit of confidence with Todd Orlando, what he's done before, Craig Nivar coming over, the experience they have together, Dante Williams. But then Vic Soto, you go, eh, this is a younger guy. How much has he really proven so far? But then to see guys like Nick Figueroa stepping up and making big plays, Marlon Tupelotu, how dominant he was in the first three games of the season, just to see a guy like Tuli Tupelotu, the improvements he made from his senior year of high school to where we saw him this year making a big impact, I think stock up for Vic Soto and what he was able to do in his first year at USC as well. Yeah, I think after Dante Williams, Vic Soto was one of the fan favorites coming in just based off his first media session, all those things he was saying about violence and you know playing angry and kind of bringing the violence back to the Coliseum. Uh, I think he set a great foundation this year, living off that hype and, and delivering and kind of produce uh, with this with this talent pool that he had to work with that people felt like was you know underachieving the last couple of years. And I think he got the most out of them. Uh, for his first year, and I agree, I just kind of agree with everything he said there, and I think he really he really set uh, set a good a good first year going forward. I think it's also an encouraging sign that we saw Tuli Tui Pelotu play because I think in the past a uh, young rising talented guy would probably stay back in the depth chart and not see playing time unless there were significant injuries or depth issues. So the fact that so Oto based it on if you play well in practice, you're going to get playing time. And the fact that we saw Thule as early as we did, I think that was a good sign just on, on the fact that uh, So Oto's identifying things. Switching over to the offensive side of the ball, I had stock up on Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, I think his decision to opt back in in USC, really working on him to do so, uh, really improved his stock. You need more experience under your belt than one year as a starter you know as a junior and then just showing the versatility and talent that he had to go to left guard or to go to left tackle and not really miss a beat in that sense I think really improved his stock and also stock up for USC in the sense that they've now set a precedent where they can point to AVT and say hey we convinced him to come back look at how much more money he earned look at how much his stock 
a value raise because he came back and played for us one more season. I've heard from USC sources that they are definitely happy that it played out the way it did because it's going to be a, a tool used in the future to get valuable guys who might want to leave to stay for one more year, uh, not, not only to help out the team, but to help out them and their overall stock as well. So stock up for Elijah Tucker um, and wish him the best. Yeah, that's a great one. Big ups to him, made a lot of money. I think if he hadn't played, I think just based off his tape and his really one good year showing that tape on a really good year as a starter, I think his his floor was kind of that third round. Ceiling was kind of second or ceiling was kind of second round. But now having this season, I think his ceiling is first round. He's being locked anywhere between, you know, top 10 to the end of the first round. And I think his floor now is a second round pick. So being regarded now as the top interior offensive lineman, slightly over Wyatt Davis at Ohio State. Uh, and going to the season, that was kind of flipped. So I think he did a lot to prove his, his stock, and I think he made himself a lot of money. You know, I also had draft declarations, though. Not just Elijah Barrett Tucker. I, I thought that he would, you know, did great improving his stock. But think about the other guys that declared. You know, you look at Talano Hufunga. How much did he improve his stock with all the turnovers that he created? Uh, you look at Amon Ross St. Brown came, coming back and playing on the outside and showing that he can play out there. You know, the guys that have made draft declarations, I think almost all of them improved their stock when they came back. Elijah Griffin, even though, you know, he probably could even use another another year at USC and could improve his stock even more. I think he showed, you know, back-to-back years being a, a shutdown corner. I think he improved his stock as well. I think all the guys that have declared for the draft definitely improved their stock playing this season. As far as just, like, individual people improving their stock, I had Talanoa Hufunga as well. I thought someone else would address it. That's why I didn't charge in with it i also had kanai mauga as a stock up but i figured chris might do that because that's kind of his lane look the the kanai mauga train has room for plenty of people this is we do not we do not judge people who want to get in on it so keely this is all you i, I agree 100 i think he established himself as possibly a really good all pack 12 person next season if he gets another year of development I, i'm just saying i'm just saying yeah, the, the inside linebacker position was a big question mark for USC going in. And, you know, he starts as a backup, you know, because he's coming off the injury in, in training camp and didn't look good the first couple games. But then he got into the rhythm and he was really a force coming downhill and attacking uh, the run game, especially for opposing teams, and showed that he could keep up with line, with running backs out of the backfield as well a couple times, you know, chasing down plays against Oregon as, and, and in the Pac-12 championship game. So I think he really made some big improvements as the season progressed and after he got that hamstring healthy and was able to go. So I think that's a really good call there. One other guy that I had was Drake London. I mean, this guy just continues to build his stock more and more. I said the draft declarations, and you know, I didn't even mention Marlon Tui-Pelotu and how dominant he was early in the season. But one of the guys that improved his stock and will be in the draft declaration pool next year will be Drake London. Yeah, I think they're going to have to make some room on the uh, the All-American wall for Drake London. I think that's, uh, that's trending for at least a consensus first-team All-American. Just based on what he playing, what he what he did this year, and then a lot more balls up for grabs with Amon Ra and Tyler Vons. Put me down for Drake London as a consensus All-American. That's an early preview of my top bowl predictions for next season. That's a little preview. That's a little taste. Wow. We get a little exclusive there, Chris? Breaking news on the pod. <laughs> and the one thing to think about with Drake London is that he's going to be concentrating fully on football for the first time this offseason. You know, he, he went 
and told Andy Enfield that, hey, I think my future is in football, and I think he's making a good choice. This is a kid that coming out of high school, I said that he would be pro in whichever sport that he focused on. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily say he would be an NBA player, but he would be playing in Europe or be able to play overseas for sure, um, if not making himself in the NBA. And I have a little bit of concern, actually, with Drake London is – was he going to split his time too much and not, you know, really hone in on one sport or the other and kind of just be a, a good but not great player? But, you know, when he came in, and this was a fear for the basketball coaching staff, was that if he got playing time as a freshman and showed what he could do and showed what we had seen him do in, in high school, just, you know, mossing people all the time and dominating, you know, running through uh, tackle attempts. And you know, just go in beast mode like we saw on that 65-yard epic touchdown against UCLA. Um, you, you know, this was something that the basketball coaches kind of feared, and ended up playing out that way. That if he got some early playing time, they may not get him on the basketball court, and that's kind of how it's, it's played out. He's just improved year over year um, from the last three years that we've seen him at, as a high school player to his first two years at USC, and expect a, a big jump potentially next year. You know, now that he's fully concentrating on football, maybe we'll see an even bigger jump this this uh, upcoming season. And it's worth noting how valuable he was for USC as far as just, as you said, a spark. Like, he made that fingertip grab at the end of the ASU game. He made that kind of offensive spark at the UCLA game. And Graham Harrell talked about preseason. He talked to Drake London about how he's no longer the freshman. He's a part of this offense. And he took that and ran with it. He really sealed himself as the next guy with, you know, you have Owen Ross St. Brown leaving, Tyler Vaughn's leaving. You're not worried about what Drake London will do. You're more excited to see what he will do with one another year under his belt. So definitely stock up for him, like you said. I had one final stock up, and it was for, surprisingly, turnover margin. Because that's something that Clay Helton has identified a lot. And that's something that actually improved this season. USC in 2019 ranked 119th in turnover margin. And in 2020, they finished 17th. So that's a pretty big jump, I would say. And that's something that has been talked about a lot uh, for USC and Clay Helton teams. And that's something that we actually saw a difference in. So stock up for turnover margin. You can uh, thank Talanoa Hufunga for that one, for a big part of that. Uh, you know, with the, the four interceptions, two forced fumbles, you know, he was a, a huge part, part of it. And I uh, thank his health for that as well. You know, being healthy for a full season, we've seen what kind of playmaker he can be. Finally being healthy was really big for him. And I think that's really going to help his stock going forward to show that he can play a full season, even if it is an abbreviated season. Yeah, that's a good point. If you notice, when I was doing the defensive back stock up, there was like a moment where you can hear the gears turning because I could see where I could just combine like half of my stock ups into one mega stock up, but I stopped. So <laughs> there was, there was <laughs> I, I split them up. Now we can't move on to 2020 stock down without having a 2020 stock neutral. We have to. Uh, we have yeah, to. Yeah, what Chris, Chris said. No, Chris, when did you become on this, this bandwagon? I, I'm not. I'm just... Shotgun's having a bad day, so I'm just, like, getting on his side. I, I, I ebb and flow. I know how to play the fence, so right now I'm just going to get on that side. You Don't worry. What? Next week or two weeks from now, I'll be on your side. It, it comes and goes. It comes and goes. Whatever. I would say that the entire season was stock neutral. There's things that you like from it. There's things that you don't like. Ultimately, I think USC fans just don't like it in general because guess what? Clay Heldon's still the head coach, and that's the only thing they care about. But I do think it's stock neutral because you had college football to watch in 2020. We didn't think that was possible at one point. The players themselves, the staff, 
USC's training staff, everyone had to sacrifice to a certain extent to put the season on. So I don't want to be like Ryan and just completely mark everything as a failure. I thought because a lot had to go into the season for it to happen, especially in LA County where restrictions were quite different from anything that the SEC had to deal with. So I don't want to negate the effort that it took to do this season. And with all the comeback wins and everything that they had, I think it's a stock neutral because there's things to like if you're a USC fan. And there's things that you don't like, obviously. So, stock neutral. The 2020 season. No, Keely. No. Whatever. <laughs> I could say the best point ever. And if it was under stock neutral, you'd just be like, mm, not sure. So, whatever. If I was a stock neutral buyer, and this week I'm not, I would say that's a great that's a great point, Keely. Thank you, Get Chris. out of here, wishy-wash. Thanks, Chris. Hey, hey, I don't want any part of this. I don't want any part of this. <laughs> You know, the Stock Neutral Nation is not one that has... Uh, no nation. Get out of here with that junk. Floating membership. Are you kidding me? The this nation is, is strong. Science. The nation junk is science. proud. Oh, we out there. Shout out to Stock Neutral Nation. I go to the highest bidder. <laughs> yeah, junk Chris, science over here. Chris, we know you're uh, I, have no, I have no loyalty. No loyalty. You see how we many know. sponsorships we have every week? No loyalty. We know, Chris. I bought, I bought extra toasty Cheez-Its for the last three weeks. No loyalty. Anyway, moving on to Stock Down. Chris, I'm putting you on the spot. Who do you got for Stock Down? Uh, we've had this group on here for the last like three weeks. It feels like maybe it feels like a whole century we've had them on here. But I think it it's only fitting to have them in this entire nebulous of 2020. And that's the running backs uh, of USC. You know, you lost Marquis Step, which I would argue is your best running back on the roster. You didn't sign the two running backs you needed. We've heard whispers throughout the last, you know, couple weeks that maybe he's not the only uh, running back that would leave. You know, the two veterans have eligibility. Maybe they want to look for greener pasture somewhere, test the portal out, find a rushing attack, you know, that values running backs a little bit more. And that would leave USC in a very dire, dire spot. You have the, the speedy, uh, speedy sophomore, Keenan Christian, who didn't get a lot of playing time this year, despite, you know, what he did last year to end the year. Probably a little bit undervalued, underutilized. So maybe he dips, takes a look in the portal. You sign one running back. And if people start, if more running backs start leaving, it's going to look really, really bad for USC. Yeah, I had the run game in general. But when you start saying that, you know, that we've talked about this group for a century, I thought you were just automatically going to go to the tight ends. You know, their, their stock just continues to decline. I was going to say when Chris put out that big pre-statement i was gonna have shotgun and i guess what you were talking about because there were so many <laughs> options what was your thought keely i was going tight ends for sure i was going inside linebackers that's a group that we talked about oh. literally every instant analysis <laughs> as someone who put their entire retirement fund into the tight ends i cannot in good faith put them on my list <laughs> that would just be doing myself a disservice i need that stock to bounce back baby so i could not put it on that I know I one mean, of you might, but I can't do it. You can continue to buy low on them because they're still towards the bottom. Uh, even though Eric Romanhook did have two touchdowns this season, congratulations to him on his first career, two touchdowns. But the the group as a whole, you know, a lot of times you just looked at it and you go, oh, should they just put four wide receivers out there, get Brew McCoy, and some more opportunities, especially with how – how much the run game struggled. And you talked about the run running backs. I had run game on there as well. It'll be interesting to see how this 
plays out with the running backs, you know, if there are, if the three that are there continue to be there, um, you know, Brennan Campbell's coming in a freshman. Is he a guy that fits what Mike Jinks is looking for? Cause he's really the, the first real running back that he's brought in himself. Um, is that the missing part that it's just not the guys that he's used to? He said that when he first came in, Hey, these guys are so much bigger than the guys I'm used to having. Is that the missing piece for the run game? I don't really know. Um, you know, I think though, one of the things that, that I think is interesting is that Levi Malpeyi has been completely undervalued. You know, a lot of people will say, Oh, you gotta get Steven, especially early in the season, you gotta get Steven Carr more opportunities. You gotta get, you know, you gotta get marquee step more runs, but, Vivi Malapai produced more than anybody. And I think that kind of gets kind of goes unnoticed. But when you start looking at the stats, he had, you know, he had more receptions than the rest of the the, the running backs combined. You know, he played pretty much the same amount of snaps, a little bit more, about 10 more snaps, or 10 more carries, excuse me, than uh than um Stephen Carr and Marquis Step had. But his numbers were much better. He had a better yards per carry average than those two guys. He was the only one to have a 100-yard rushing season. He forced more missed tackles than either of the other guys did. You know, he was forcing a missed tackle every 3.6 rushing plays. You know, and Marquis Step and Keenan Kristen were over 10 over 10 rushing plays. Um, Stephen Carr was around five. Uh, he picked up more first downs than the other two uh, primary guys combined. He averaged more yards after contact than either Stephen Carr or Marquis Step. And he, he finished with the season with more yards and, uh, you know, three touchdowns on, on his, his 54 carries. So, you know, there's a lot of things that Vavai Malapai did that people they kind of go unnoticed and people don't give him credit for. So give him a little credit for what he was able to do and, you know, being able to make his way back in the rotation after he started, you know, on, on the bench for USC because of his injury in, in training camp as well. But it, it comes down to health a lot for that run, running back group. And we'll see who's healthy next year and who stays healthy because Stephen Carr started off really good and got injured and wasn't the same the rest of the season. Marquis Step looked like he was taken over as the primary guy and then he got injured and never was back in the mix again. So uh, I think that's a big part of the running back group that is a reason why they're on stock downs because they can't stay healthy. I was able to do my taxes during that entire that entire thing. Also, the weird thing, too, is that he made a stock up sound like a stock down, and then he made a stock down sound like a stock up with a Vimele Pei. So, it's all Classic over shotgun where he loses where he's going, but he finds it in the end. He just loops back and circles around. He, he knows what he's doing, even though it doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing. He's always, he's always on track, even though sometimes it goes a little... Yeah, I guess so. I'm going to tack on to both of your stock downs. I had stock down for RBU, you know? I think that's clear. But I had stock down for Graham Harrell and his scheme. Because if you kind of just look at the overall sentiment or opinions of Graham Harrell at the end of 2019 to 2020, wildly different. People were praising Graham Harrell. And then now people are like, Graham Harrell? I just think uh, the confidence in him and his play calling ability, his scheme has just the stock has tanked in that sense. Now, the weird thing is that if you look at uh, passing yards per game, it wasn't a huge drop off from 2019 when everybody was raving about him. And if you look at rushing yards per game, USC has declined in rushing yards per game since 2015. So it's not like a Graham Harrell specific thing per se, but I think that people have lost 
the shininess of Graham Harrell has worn off in that sense. I think a lot of people love what he brought to the offense just because it was his scheme. It wasn't the gumbo. But now I think a lot of people are very iffy about that. And they're very high on Todd Orlando, which even at the start of 2020, that wasn't the case. So just seeing how everything changed uh, in opinion-wise of Graham Harrell, I have to put stock down on him because I feel like USC fans have kind of lost their faith in him at this point. Yeah, I completely agree with that. You, you go back to last year and the rumors about him leaving for the coaching job. It's, oh, my goodness. We can't let Graham Harrell leave. How is USC going to – you're going to keep him around? You know, I got to give him more money or whatever. Now you hear his name come up for other jobs and people are like, hopefully he takes that one. Let's, I hope he takes that. And they're just – they're, you know, over the air rate offense because – and I think a big part of it is just because of the history of the running back – position at USC and people want to see the running backs do well at USC. And, you know, there was no run game really this year, especially the second half of the season. Um, you know, there's things that he can do better uh, as far as creating some mismatches. I would like to see those, those are some things that I would like to see a little bit more of uh, the scheme will work, but you know, you got to be able to go outside of just the scheme when need need be. Uh, now he he'll draw up occasionally. We'll draw up some special plays in each game. And this season was probably a lot different. And what you can actually draw up in the middle of the season, and maybe it works to have an offense like that. But we saw other teams do so much better with it. You you watch it in Alabama in the playoffs, and they were a juggernaut uh, throughout the entire season. But Steve Sarkeesian, former USC head coach, former offense coordinator at USC, just the different ways that he designed plays to create mismatches for guys like Devontae Smith. You watch that championship game and watch him running on a linebacker, and, and Chris said that he was he just had a laugh at it. You know, you look at it and you feel bad for the running back, I mean the linebacker that's trying to run after that guy. That's a mismatch created by the offense coordinator. Um, and those are things that USC doesn't do enough of in this offense so i think that's one of the things where people saw all the numbers and you're spreading the ball out and that's great but they want to see when you have a guy like drake london when you get him against a linebacker can we create that mismatch when you have a guy like amon ross st brown can we create a one-on-one and graham harrell does some of that stuff but with so many playmakers at usc can you continue to find different ways to get everybody the ball and and be creative with that uh that's the big question for him going forward i think I'm going to add another stock down that I had just because I think it works in tandem. I had stock down for Keaton Slovis. And I think that's just because seeing what he did in 2019 in this offense, there were super high expectations. He was expected to build off of what where he left off. And it just didn't happen. you know. And, and part of that, I think, is scheme. Part of that is because I think the offensive line didn't give him enough time to really feel comfortable. But also, I think it was a mental thing. I think for some reason, either mentally, maybe it was a, a injury thing and, and you feel weird after you you get injured at the Holiday Bowl, but he just wasn't the Keaton Slovis we saw in 2019. And we, you could tell how that affected the flow of the offense. Talking to some of the wide receivers, they had to kind of adjust at times to the ball he threw. So the fact that you could tell Keaton Slovis didn't have that zip that he once had and quote-unquote wobble gate, so I think just the overall Slovis issue, whatever it was, that issue itself was an impediment to the flow of the offense and just how well it could work overall. I think it contributed to how clunky USC's offense looked at times. So there just wasn't a flow, and I think part of that is just because you knew Keenan Slovis just didn't have that confidence to get the ball in when he needed to. I don't know. The weird part, though, is that 
then you look at the the last minute comebacks and clearly he was able to do something. So it, that's why it's just weird to me. Uh, it's just stock down in that sense. I also had Keaton Slovis on my stock down. I mean, it's not a huge stock down. He was still all Pac-12, you know, first team, all, all those things you said. And also, I would like to go on the record that it was Armgate, not Wobblegate. It was I need the record to show. There was Can we just say, go, get rid of Gate? I hate Gate. I know you do, but I don't care about you, Shotgun. I so think it dumb. was get rid of it. <laughs> but yeah, I will say, Chris, I it's it's a minor stock down. He wasn't like terrible, but it wasn't the slowest that people projected. Right, because last year he was playing with house money as a backup three star freshman that no one knew, and whatever he did was gonna be great, and he was great. And then now he has the all American hype. He has the twenty twenty two first round for number one overall pick draft hype. He has the USC quarterback draft hype. He has all that USC starting quarterback hype. Excuse me. He has all that around him. And you know that? That gets to a kid. I mean, he went through a little bit of a sophomore snub. We can say that. That's fine. And, you know, the scheme, obviously, like you said, was a little bit clunky at times. And it didn't actually help him break out of that at times. Uh, but, yeah, a little bit of a stock down for Keenan Slovis. But I'm still excited to see what he brings in 2021 having gone through this year and what he can learn moving forward mentally and, you know, hopefully gets healthy. Yeah. I think when you look at him, you know, you're looking at a guy that defenses are now scheming for this offense. So they've got a, a year of tape to, to look at over the off season. They're also scheming for him in particular. And one of the things that defenses did better this year was that you know he had to throw the ball away twice as many times in half as many games. He had 15 throwaways this year, only had seven or eight last year, and he had one fewer batted ball this year than he had last year in half as many games. So teams realized where the arm slot was coming out, how the ball was coming out, when it's coming out, and were able to get their hands up more, but also creating pressure and forcing him to throw the ball away a little bit more. So you actually, if, if you take away the, the drops, the balls that are bad at the line of scrimmage and, and the throwaways, he was on the same pace as far as his completion percentage would have been. You know, if you add those back in and you add them in last year, the completion percentage is 80.7 to 80.6. And his, you know, his completion percentage dropped four and a half percent or so uh, from last season when he set the NCAA freshman record. Um, so that was one of the things where he, he struggled a little bit. But the thing that it gives you a little bit of glimmer of this guy's still going to be really good is that when he didn't face pressure, he had an over a 90 grade on uh, pro football focus. You know, that's the biggest thing. If USC can block for him when he's not under pressure, he's going to tear up defenses. When they try to blitz him, he produces really good numbers. But the difference is when they blitz and get there or if they get there without having to blitz, then especially when they get there without having to blitz, his numbers kind of plummet, his grades kind of plummet, which every quarterback does. But he goes from having an elite grade above 90 to down to like 50 or so. So that's the big thing, if they can protect him. And part of that is, you know, switching up the routes and doing some different things so that he's able to, you know, that, you know, he doesn't have to hold on to the ball as long and that pressure is able to get there. So it, it's kind of a dual thing. It's the offense along with him, but there are still some really positive signs and things that he does well, but he's got to eliminate some of those turnovers. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest areas where, where he had a decline this year and, and, you know, his stock went down a little bit. So he's got to do a little bit better there. But and especially getting over the mental portion of it, I think he did that in the second half of the season and played a little bit better. So we'll see where he goes from here. It's a big off season for him because obviously you go into next season, he's going to be draft eligible. 
Um, you know, if he, he puts in the work and it's able to come back and is ready to go and Graham Harrell's still here and the click that those two guys have, I think that he can have a really big season if they can protect him up front. This one might be a little bit out there just because I know this is an overview of 2020, but given everything that happened with the season and all the talent USC is losing, I have stock down on USC's Pac-12 title contention for 2021, mainly just because of the offensive line. And I don't know what that unit is going to look like. You had a first round gem stashed away in Eliza Vera Tucker. You can move out to left tackle. That worked really well. For the most part, uh, you have a new O-line coach coming in. So maybe there's going to be some growth there. Maybe you can land somebody out of the portal. Uh, you have a lot of holes on defense you need to fill, but you have a lot of good talent coming in, young talent. Still, I just feel like 2020 was the real shot for USC to take that Pac-12 title, and I think their chances are less so moving into next year. I'm not calling it a rebuilding year, but you definitely have a lot of key pieces to fill in. Yeah, definitely. I, I think when you lose as many guys as they're going to lose to the NFL, uh, you know, they can still have some guys that may decide to, to move on in different directions, whether it be just moving on with their life, moving on to another school. Uh, those are some decisions still to be made that we, we haven't heard. Uh, although, so besides the really talented guys they have, they might have some key pieces still take off as well. And I think an interesting thing that maybe has gone on the radar is – USC was playing for a championship this year. So that meant you're not getting those young offensive linemen extra time. You're not getting you know those young guys and taking advantage of, hey, this is free year. Everybody gets an extra year of eligibility. We're just going to play some guys to give them some experience. Whereas you might have saw a team, you might have seen a team like Utah do that. You know, after they lose to USC, they struggle out the gate. Let's start getting some young guys some extra experience. You might see that with Arizona State. You know, their goal was probably a Pac-12 championship, but then COVID hits them. They lose to USC that first game. They go, you know what, let's try to get some of those young guys some experience. And Arizona State has had, you know, a lot of their players that could have left early for the draft have decided to come back. Their entire secondary is coming back. They could be an interesting team. But there's a couple other teams that are like that as well where, you know, they they got an opportunity and maybe they weren't competing for the title. So they decided let's get some younger guys some opportunities and take advantage of this quote-unquote free season of eligibility. Not a lot of young guys were getting that extra opportunity. So now – Who's filling in for Talanoa and Elijah Griffin and all these guys? Oh, wait, we'll talk about that in a little bit. What an excellent teaser. Surprisingly, Shotgun, for as much as you've talked, you actually haven't said any stock down yet. Or maybe you have. Have you? I don't think you have. Just go. You have a plethora. Just go. <laughs> I, I think stock down for 2020, you guys say stock down for strength of schedule. Every iteration of the schedule that came out, USC's uh, schedule got easier and easier, and yet this goes into Chris's that you still didn't win that Pac-12 championship. So uh, next year, that schedule is going to be built back up. Now you may not have Alabama on the schedule, but you're going to have, you know, the, the you're going to face a, a full plethora of the Pac-12 teams. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how USC does with a full schedule instead of losing the key teams along the way as they did this season. I would say Clay Helton would probably say strength of schedule stock up because he did not have to face Alabama. If you watch that game, I have I don't know what that game would have turned out with. If we were doing a draft mock-up on Clay Helton, his escapability is 99 on Madden. <laughs> it's just exquisite escapability. That should have been in your stock up there. I had another stock down for fanless games. 
I, I think that, that it was just – it was not fun. You know, we miss the fans. We want to see them out there. Uh, you know, the atmosphere was just so weird, I guess. I, I don't know the right word for it. It, it was just dystopian, maybe. Uh, you know, you're just playing for a, a TV audience. There's no no live audience, no real feel to the game. It didn't have that 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 mouth taste that you want. Yeah, I use mouth taste, Keely. What now? Mouth taste? Yeah. When you get in your mouth, swish it around. When you taste a really good bite of food. That would just be taste. No, mouth taste. Nope, nope. It just didn't have a good feel. You know, the atmosphere wasn't there. We miss the fans. We hope that they're back next season. I agree. That's a good one. Also, kind of a preview to my Heard It, but we'll get there. I had one final stock down. It was for Pala EA Naote I think that's one where if you look at preseason, he had the Clay Elton hype curse, if you will. There were a lot of good things uh, that people were hoping for EA. You know, maybe a new defensive coordinator would be the spark that he needed. And you end up with him entering the transfer portal in the season. You know, it's unfortunate him just getting injured, that concussion taking a while, and then, you know, just some frustration on his part. So stock down for him because, you know, he was a guy who people had floated out the 55 for him and, and he ends up in the transfer portal. So it's just unfortunate the trajectory of his stock as a Trojan, and hopefully he finds a good home going forward. That was my last one, Pallier and IGLJ as well. Just, uh, you know, not living up to the expectations at USC and, you know, not getting the opportunity because of the injury. I think he really would have progressed this season like we did see with Kanai Malga and Raylan go forth. I think he by the end of the season he would have been playing really well, but unfortunately the injury cut that short and he enters the transfer portal. We'll see where he ends up. And the most important stock down is USC's hair flow after losing Talanoa to the draft and Connor Murphy to the transfer portal. That's two big blows to this team's hair lettuce on the team. I know Shotgun maybe shed a couple tears on losing those two guys. Incoming uh, talent in the 2021 class, lots of talent, but not enough hair. That's going to be a big stock down for 2021. And also with Damon Johnson, the long snapper coming back, that means Jack Asante, who's the backup, who has a, a flowy mullet himself, will not necessarily move into the starting role. So, you know, another guy that doesn't see the field. Another another flow that we're missing out on. Alrighty, well, it's time to move on to Chris Trevino's favorite segment of the Family Feud podcast. The segment dun, 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 that, that we had to agree to in order for Shotgun to actually want to podcast with us this week. Heard it on the sideline. Shotty, since this is your favorite segment, take it away. I mean, what did we hear this season? I thought there were some really interesting things that were heard and some really eye-opening, ear-popping, ear-making-your-ears-bleed-a-little-bit type of things this year. I think you got to start with Clay Helton after the final game saying, we're judged on championships here. That's the expectation. That's the standard. And later saying, that's the only thing we will accept as a team as a championship. And the fact of the matter is we're really close. But are you? Because if you're judged on championships, what championships has USC won? One Pac-12 championship? Ah, come on. This is supposed to be a blue blood program, national championships, supposed to be competing with Alabama for the most national championships. Instead, especially with Alabama's added ones in that they have back in the 40s and 30s and whatnot, 
USC is falling way behind because Nick Saban just won his, what, seventh in sixth and 13 years, I think it is, something like that, uh, and became the greatest all-time head coach in college football with his seventh overall. So USC is falling way behind if that's what they're going to be judged on. So I don't know what championships we're talking about here. So as alluded to previously, my hernia on the sideline for the 2020 season is what we didn't hear, actually. The biggest marker of what this season was was all the empty stadiums that we went to and just the fact that USC had an unusual amount of last-minute comebacks and yet no fans were there to scream or to make it as eventful as it actually was. It just kind of took the hype away a little bit from what USC was able to do because no one was really there to celebrate it. So I think that was just the ultimate thing of 2020 for me is the fans make up so much of what college football is and what it's about. And just seeing people play to empty stadiums was just so surreal and, and kind of apocalyptic. It was odd, but that's my herd. It is what we didn't hear. You know, what's the one thing we didn't hear though? Cause we heard the band being piped in. We heard the cheers. We heard the crowd going crazy for touchdowns. You know, the one thing you didn't hear, the booing. There was no booing this year. And that's interesting. You know, Clay Helton gets the escapability on the schedule. He gets the escapability on the booing this year as well. And not necessarily that the way USC's playing, they would get a ton of boos, but there were certain calls and situations where I think USC would have been getting some boos or getting a little heckles on the way to halftime or something like that. Uh, and then having to come back late in those games. So no booing this year at all. Chris, now you have to fulfill your contractually obligated segment. I'm contractually obligated to because it is the only thing that got Shotgun on here today. So I'm circumventing the rules and making her to whatever I wanted because that's you play dirty with me. I play dirty with you. And I will be making my hurt it all the nice comments and support people gave me in being an interim interim member of this podcast and joining this podcast when you guys made me do a quarantine podcast i did not think i would be doing 13 or whatever straight with you lovable idiots so a lot of people have been nice and keely has gotten some nice comments through email and social media so and twitter and all that stuff so i thank everyone who sent me a nice comment or tweeted at me uh or and the p on the p too so that's my hurt it. And you can't do anything about it because it's my hurt it. <laughs> well done, Chris. You you earned that hurt it. We'll accept it. <laughs> you better accept it. How about let's go back to Clay Helton uh, and Graham Harrell. There's this is more? what the hurt it is all about, guys. What did you oh. hear this year? What, what did I hear this last week? What did you hear about going under center? We had to ask about it. Everyone was complaining about it. And Clay Helton said, you know, right now it's it's, it's just not us. When has a coach said, you know what, that's just not us. We don't want to go under center in short yard situations. And then Graham Harrell follows it up with saying, it's simple and can be taught easily, but then explaining, well, it takes a lot of time and work. So if it's simple, it can be taught easily, then it shouldn't take a lot of time and work. I mean, I understand where the where there's logistics and you got you to put forth the effort and do some different things and you have – and this is a different year, but with how quickly they can install their entire offense in three practices, you're telling me you can't install a goal line package 
it, it just seems like it, it's simple. And and especially when they went away from the pistol this year. They even used the pistol some last year as a short yardage type of package. This year they used it a couple of times really sparingly early in the season, and then it, it disappeared too. So uh, very interesting, their comments on going under center, I thought. This segment has turned into shotgun wanting USC fans to pull out their hair while listening to this podcast. He's like, Hey, this going, is what I heard this year. This is what the, I heard. The lowlights of, of the quotes. If you want, you guys are allowed to bring out the highlights. Where are you at? I did bring out a highlight. And this is also a I good said time the highlights to, and the quotes. That's what we're talking about. Chris. And this is a good time to announce shotgun's new solo pod. Heard it with shotgun. We heard it on the sidelines as well, Chris. Shotgun, do we have permission to move on to the next segment? I do have one more. Okay, fine. And this is not a quote. This this is actually, well, this was talking to one of the players that had to go through the quarantine process. And just listening to the players talk about this, it was kind of a lonely experience. You know, basically, you know, they come back from that Utah trip and you had someone test positive, so contact tracing. This player was in the hotel, was not able to go out and do anything. They basically could not leave their room they brought some uh, exercise equipment to them it was delivered every day to their door they had to wait till the person left and then they were to grab their food from the door but basically just no contact with anyone they did zoom meetings and stuff and tried to work out as much as they could when the team was out practicing uh, but just kind of a lonely life uh to to be you know quarantined for for 10 days 12 days uh, and then come out and give credit to the offensive lineman uh, they had to do this going through not practicing at all and then show up for a walkthrough and then go and practice, go and play the next day against Washington State. And the offensive line played pretty good in that game as far as, you know, their pass protection and stuff. So with a couple of young bucks in there as well. So I just thought it was interesting listening to to the experience of going through this quarantine. And, you know, we have some people that listen to this have had COVID and stuff, and we hope everyone stays healthy uh, and has had to go through this type of quarantine themselves. But it was interesting to listen to the players talk about it as well. The good final heard it. A very 2020 heard it. So there you go. Now, earlier than I usually do, I'm going to pass the torch to Mr. Trevino because you're about to introduce our one-time segment. Go for it. Yes, it's a new one-time segment from the minds that brought you Take It or Leave It, fake corporate sponsors. It's a little game we're going to play called Transfer, Freshman, or Roster. USC has had six players declare for the 2021 NFL Draft, and obviously that means there's holes to fill. So we've each got a couple of these names, and we're just going to tell you, each other, the fans listening, if their replacement is going to be a transfer, a freshman, or they're already on the roster. Simple? Simple? I got it. Let's go for it, Chris. Uh, Since your show's fired up, Shaka, why don't you start? Tell me who you want. I would like the most key position, Elijah Vera Tucker. Who is going to replace Elijah Vera Tucker? I think the best option is to go to the transfer portal and find a elite or, or best, uh, someone who's played the position at a power five, similar to bringing in Drew Richmond. There are there's so many more options this year, and there's still some guys that are cycling in and out. Now, there aren't a ton of elite left tackles in the portal at this moment. However, there have been a couple of four-star guys that have already been in there. You know, find someone that has some experience and, and be able to plug them in at the left tackle position. Instead of having to move someone once again, I think you can feel more confident in your offensive line 
and being able to play in this air raid system if you can leave the other guys in the position instead of having to move everybody like you did this year. So I say go to the transfer portal for this one. I agree with you 100% because as I stated uh, earlier on this podcast, USC has not signed a premier offensive tackle in the last two classes. The talent is just not there to have an instant plug-and-play guy. You need those guys to develop. You know, Liam Jimmins might be a guy. I know we're big on him possibly being a tackle. You might be able to move Jalen McKenzie around. But I think the transfer is the best route to go. So there are some options, which is why you need to get a you an O-line coach in here now so they can, you know, start hitting up that portal really quick, get a, get a jump, because everyone else has a jump start on this portal thing. USC does not. And I know they're really high on Cortland Ford, and Elijah Vera Tucker even told me he's a guy that he expects to play left tackle in the future. But he has one game of experience. Do you really want a guy with one game of experience to be your guy protecting Keaton Slovis' backside? No, you would rather be able to work him in and get him some drives with an experienced guy. I think that would be great for his development. Um, so we'll see what happens. USC needs to be able to go to the transfer portal and get a couple of different positions. Who else you got, Chris? Since you went offensive line, or I made you go offensive line, I'm going to go on the defensive side with Marlon Tuipolotu, obviously a key guy in the middle that has been there for USC for the multiple years. He is now gone. This one was a really easy one for me, and that's going to be transfer because USC picked up Ishmael Sopcher, Sopcher, I think that's right, out of Alabama. That was a slam dunk uh, get for Vic Soto and this defensive staff. A former top 50 prospect that went to Alabama, didn't like how it was working out there. Now he's coming to the West Coast. USC gets a big SEC-type body that could absolutely dominate uh, in the Pac-12. He's going to be eligible immediately, and I think that's just a simple plug-and-play. I know you got uh, a nice little prospect coming in and Jay Toya. He'll be early enrollee. You have some guys who signed last year. You might even have Brandon Peely back with that extra year of eligibility. But I just think it just makes too much sense. Put that big Alabama guy right there in the middle and don't worry about it. This is exactly what you're supposed to do. Identify an area where you're losing a key player. Go to the transfer portal and get a big-time player. You know, a guy that came out of high school was a really highly rated guy. Didn't work out in Alabama. We'll see what he can do at USC. Good call, Chris. Keely, what about you? Who's replacing Tyler Vons? I feel like I'm interrupting a Helium Boys. Like, you guys had, like, a little flow back and forth. Well done. I'm sorry. I, I got lost in his eyes, and he got lost in mine, and that's, and that's <laughs> when it just goes. That's when, that, that's when the magic happens, baby. That's why there's no cuts in Helium Boys. It's just going. More power to you. That's all I got to <laughs> say. Okay. So... I'm going to go with roster for Tyler Vons. I think the first guy you have to look at is Brew McCoy, since he was the one who took Tyler Vons' snaps when he did come in. So, But I do think he's going to go a lot of... I think when you're wide receiver leaves for USC, it's not something where you're like, how do you replace this? I think USC, as my roommate likes to say, has a grab bag of talented wide receivers, and when one leaves, you just pick another one. So Tyler Vaughn's is one of those guys where you could look at Bruce McCoy. Kyle Ford, if he comes back healthy, that's something TBD. But Chris, it's time for yours, because you are supposed to come up with Amon Raw St. Brown's replacement. Yeah, I mean, it's very kind of similar to yours and your, your the grab bag analogy, where USC just has a lot of talent ready to pl- plug and play. There is a tempting uh, – there's temptation to go with Michael Jackson, the early enrollee wide receiver out of Las Vegas, who really fits – it kind of is like a, a copy of him in, in, in stature and his physical body type. And people have been – he's been comped to him uh, by the evaluations that he is like a little – 
Amon Ross St. Brown. He could be a plug and play there. But still got to go roster. And I'm going to go with Kyle Ford. I know he's coming off the ACL injury. He was playing in that Amon Ross spot early in spring or that one day in spring when uh, Amon Ross was sitting out uh, for his hernia surgery. So I think the logical choice is to go Kyle Ford, a big physical receiver who can play that slot and I think could dominate that slot uh, in 2021, assuming, you know, he's healthy. I think the interesting thing here is that you didn't mention Gary Bryant Jr. at all. And now if you say you replace it on Marase Brown, do you say that's just the outside? Do you say it's his flexibility? There's different ways you can kind of look at this and, and parse it out. Uh, but you, you think that Drake Lennon is going to be in the starting lineup. Uh, Brew McCoy is definitely taking a spot in the starting lineup. Is Gary Bryant a guy that now moves into the starting lineup? You know, depending on Kyle Ford's health and how you want to, you know, mix and match with those receivers. Again, the grab bag uh, analogy as you used. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of interesting that Gary Bryant's not a guy that you brought up. And going back to Mike Jack, I think he's a like a clone uh, of Amon Ross St. Brown. A little bit lesser. I'll say he's a little bit lesser of Amon Ross St. Brown. No disrespect there. But Amon Ross St. Brown was a five-star coming out. Mike Jack, uh, a four-star. And Amon Ross St. Brown was a guy that, you know, just it, it um, catches your eye at every single tournament, every single thing he does, just so crisp in every single every single way. I think Mike Jack is a guy that's going to work towards that. But he's very similar stature, the way he runs routes, the way he knows how to stack DBs and different things. So he's an interesting thing, but I think, I think he'll take a year of development. He'll get used to that college speed. And with some of the guys that have been waiting their turn at USC, I think that they'll get that first opportunity. So roster is probably the way to go here. But I will add that I will not be surprised if he ends up having impact in year one. He's going to be an early enrollee. I know it's going to take time, but I will not be shocked if Mike Jack comes in and contributes right away for this team. It's just going to be interesting if they rotate. You know, that's the big thing. You have all these weapons and wide receiver. You know, expected when you go air raid, oh, they're going to go four wide receiver at times. They're going to be able to mix and match and rotate these receivers, and it just hasn't happened. So I'm curious to see if that's something that we see instituted a little bit more next season. In that sense, I hope that they figure out how to use Gary Bryant because I felt like at times it was kind of gimmicky, especially with that pitch to him, I think, against UCLA. I just felt like they didn't really capitalize on what his strengths are. And so I just hope that that is utilized better and he doesn't fall into kind of like a Valus Jones role where it's kind of like, we know his strengths, but it, do they really, do you really see them in this scheme or in this, uh, in the way that he's used? So. And that his strengths being running really, 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 really fast. Really, really fast. But also he's elusive. So, you know, that's why, you know, the kick return game, but the screen game, and this is something, this is what I talked about a little bit early in the podcast about making, you know, finding mismatches and exploiting those. Gary Bryant Jr., that's something they did a little bit more with. That pitch was an idea. Hey, let's try something different. Let's get him the ball on the edge. They also, the other time they put him in the backfield, they ran a wheel route with him. And he got, you know, big catch, gets down the goal line. USC scores the next play against Oregon. So they found different ways of using They used him as, as in the screen game, used him at, with some different screens uh, as well in that, that Oregon game. At least one of the throws that he caught was a different screen than they had been running the rest of the season. So, they got to just find – you want to keep finding ways to find guys like that, put them in position to, to make some unique plays and use their skill set. So that, he's an interesting guy to watch going forward. Shotgun, if you would please wrap us up with the, the two secondary departures. Elijah Griffin, who, you know, I think we might say was a little bit of a surprise given the other guys. And then Talano Hufunga leaving as a consensus All-American, going to be a huge hole to fill. 
So let's go with the easy one. Elijah Griffin, this is roster for sure. Isaac Taylor Stewart's a guy that was, that's been in the mix in the rotation with Chris Steele and Elijah Griffin the last two years. He's going to step in. They have confidence that he's going to be able to step in and, and be the guy there uh, to try to be a shutdown guy on the outside. So that one's easy. That's roster. Uh, you know, got some confidence in those young cornerbacks to come in, Sierra Wright and other guys, and maybe they'll make an impact, but the starting role is going to go to ITS. The really interesting one is Talanoho Funga. And it's still a little up in the air because we haven't heard from Isaiah Polamau yet on what his decision is going to be. Thought we might get that decision, you know, a couple of days ago. Heard that it, it was coming. It should come out in the next couple of days, I would expect. But what does he decide to do? If he leaves, that opens up a different spot in the secondary. And, you know, we're talking about the same discussion again. I think you say, you know, uh, Alfred comes in. From Texas, the Texas transfer. So transfer portal, that's an easy answer, right? Talanoa Funga, he fits in with a similar, potentially a similar role here. You know, he's played with Craig Nivar before in the Todd Orlando defense before at Texas, so he should be able to step right in, right? That seems like an easy answer. But you also have a ton of safety talent coming in in this freshman class that I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody else jump in there. Um, but it's just going to be a question of who kind of slots in where and is, you know, if Isaiah Polamal stays or not, you know, does one of those guys fit in? Max Williams is already playing one of those three safety positions right now. Greg Johnson coming back. You could move rosters. So I think this is actually the toughest one of the declarations that we were talking about because it could be Greg Johnson and Max Williams along with Isaiah Polamal if he comes back. So it, it's just going to be interesting to see. I think it all starts with whether Isaiah Polamalu comes back and then whether you move some other guys around that are already on the roster or those freshmen that are coming in if you move them to different positions to replace Talanoa Funga. But the easy answer is transfer portal. I don't know what it's going to look like going forward, but I hope we can see practice and see how that develops. Because given that there's so many options, I wish that we can see, like, okay, who's really standing out because I think that's going to be an interesting competition to watch. Yeah, I would probably lean towards transfer, like you said, but I'm also kind of leaning towards the dark horse of these really talented safety classes to bring in, like you said. So I'm not sleeping on those safeties to maybe come in and grab that job. One of the interesting things with the freshmen coming in is, does anyone ha- is anyone physically ready yet? You know, Kalen Bullock, Zamarian Gordon, long, lanky guys, they're going to need to put some weight on. You look at them, and maybe they have a similar trajectory as Isaiah Polamau did You know, when he first came in. You hope none of those guys get injuries. That's something, you know, when you have those long, lanky guys coming out of high school, you get worried about those shoulders. You know, the first time they're hitting a guy, you know, if they were going up against a marquee step, are they going up against a Vi? Or in Isaiah Polamau's case, going up against Ronald Jones, who was the one that, that injured him his first season. So uh, we'll see if they can, if they're physically ready to step in and play. Uh, that that's always a big question, just taking those first hits in, at the college level as well. You know who you don't have that problem with? Safety, Brandon Peely. <laughs> Another short, win for the... Short Stubby Gang. Short Stubby Gang, baby. All day, all day. I don't know if you guys caught the recruiting podcast, but Gerard accidentally called Brandon Peely a safety, and I was like, I wanted to go short and Stubby Gang, but Gerard would have no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> We're seeping into the brains. We're slowly building out. It's true. Slowly building out. And that's going to wrap up this segment. Thanks, guys, okay. for playing along. We got we to touch on it real quick, though. Okay, okay. We were doing draft declarations, but we also did have a couple players enter the transfer portal. 
Uh, Connor Murphy and Marquis Step, real quick. Who you guys? You on roster with these? Because you already got some guys at those positions. Does that make it? Is that nice and simple there? You have to go transfer portal for running back. Really? Do you do you not think so? I I mean it depends on who who else stays, but oh well, yeah. Is someone from the transfer portal going to come in and jump over Vi and Stephen Carr? That's a that's a big question. The problem is that I feel like Marquis Step was such a unique brought a different skill set that USC needed. And I think you definitely lose that. And I think USC needs to have someone come in because you could potentially either to transfer portal or later down the line leaving, you're going to have depth issues at running back. And I think if you can bring someone in, that would definitely help. And it looked like USC definitely for a certain amount of time thought they were getting TJ Pledger, uh, who ended up committing to Utah. But I think you have to go in the portal for a running back. I don't think they could get anyone out the portal, given what USC did last year. I don't. I think that's just a really hard sell. I mean, I think you could sell somebody, but I don't think it's going to be uh, a TJ Pledger type back. It's not going to be a former four-star recruit. I mean, Utah's over here stunting on USC. Got their second former high-end uh, running back uh, in Curry out of LSU today. They just got two high-end running back transfers. USC can't do that. Utah's also brought in like four quarterbacks too. Uh, after bringing in Jake Bentley from South Carolina last year, they 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 doing some work in the transfer portal. Uh, but the, the interesting part of the running back and Keely's talking about how Marquis Step brought an in, a different skill set. But does USC want that skill set? That's a question because you know that's not the air raid type of running back. Now they need that because they've struggled so much in short yardage. But do they want the, a big body, or are they going to go with a smaller guy like Brandon Campbell? You know that maybe fits better in the style uh, of this offense. I just think you, like you alluded to, you need a back like him just because he makes up for the deficiencies of the offensive line when they can't really get a hole for the backs. You know, like you need a guy who can just kind of burst through. So what we saw with running back injuries in 2019, I just think depth issues are should be a concern. I mean, the fact that even coming into this season with the amount that you had pre-step transferring, you were looking at two running backs at one point, you know? So I, I think you have to try and bolster this, this, the depth chart with a transfer portal. But like Chris said, how do you sell someone with, hey, we didn't run a lot and you're going to com- be competing with other senior guys. It's like, that's not a great sell for someone. I, I think there's already a guy to fill that role for Marquis Step on the roster, and he wears number 91. Brandon Peely also playing safety and running back. The the modern Jim Thorpe. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Jim Thorpe Award winner, Brandon Peely. Let's go. The the If you can get a transfer out of the uh, – if you can get someone out of the portal at running back, uh, you're hoping that he fits in at the right class too. And that's another thing that because yeah. of where they're at – Maybe you can sell a guy that's uh, you know that has a couple years of eligibility left on. Hey, these guys are leaving this next year if everyone on the roster returns. Uh, these guys are leaving, and then you could be the the lead guy. Maybe that's a selling point. But it's hard. The hard part of selling being a running back at USC right now is that they didn't run the ball much. Who wants to be a running back when your your primary task is to bl- pass block? That's not that's not what running backs want to do. I, I think the best bet right now is just to be completely transparent. Look, we weren't a great running team, but come here, live the West Coast life, 
Get a get your master's. Get a uh, degree from USC. Just chill, baby. That's what I would sell. <laughs> so Let's you're selling. You're just selling the boulevard. I'm selling the lifestyle, baby. That's what I'm gonna sell. And it might work. It might work. You only need one. Just sell that, baby. No, you like Chuck had said. You sell like a sophomore and say, "Hey, transfer, get acclimated." Vi and Stephen Carr will leave, and then you'll be the, the one of the main guys getting touches. Just wait your turn and X, Y, and Z. I think that's the only sell you can really have. It's gonna be a hard sell, regardless. But that, it's sure. something. It's a spot they desperately need if they don't get one somebody in the transfer portal then they have to have at least two backs in the next class maybe even three i mean you just and that's if you keep keenan Kristen and brandon campbell from transferring after next year or something and then to wrap it up with connor murphy i would say roster staring you right in the face jake lichtenstein has the potential for the flow <laughs> and he's a guy who can play off the edge and interior. So that's done for me. That's just that's just easy money. Got to have more big, flow guys in there. That's what that's we're looking the big, for. That's the big lick. Can't argue with that one. Nailed it, Chris. Next segment. Chris, I'm tossing it back to you, even though I never took it back, because I think I have to like kind of like give you a, a ramp to this segment. <laughs> it's time for Take It or Leave It. Chrissy T, take it away. I really don't like the pressure of this segment that's building and i must say i wasn't able to corral a national sponsor for this week but that doesn't mean i haven't been able to corral a local sponsor for this week keely and shotgun would you both agree you are the founders and the bosses of the family feud podcast this is all keely's show i'm just along for the ride chris I don't want to give Shotgun boss powers because he'll use that against me in an inopportune moment. <laughs> For sa- the sake of this segment, I'll say sure. Okay. Well, when the public outcry to make me an official member gets so big and the reputation of the podcast is damaged, wouldn't you as the founder like to send me packing properly? Well, thanks to our new and first local sponsor, of the Take It or Leave It segment. Thank you to Moonwater Farms in Compton. You can, with their brand new exclusive scapegoat program, where you can take the heat off you by sending your soon-to-be-terminated employee a baby scapegoat to announce their firing to the world. Wall Street CEOs, government officials, principals, managing partners, Pac-12 commissioners, and college football head coaches. We all know what you're doing. (laughs) Let's cut the shit. (laughs) Take the facade down and leave your new unemployed underling with positive. A cute baby scapegoat. Moonwater Farms in Compton. That means something in goat. (laughs) So we're giving out literal goats. I like it. A scapegoat shotgun. I understand. Got to stay on brand. I understand. Is Is this a real farm? This seems very specific. It is a real farm. I don't I don't do fake fake sponsors. I do fake <laughs> real sponsors. Great. I love that our, our legal liability is much greater that way. There's no such thing as bad press, Keely. You should know <laughs> sure. that. Sure. Hey. Wow. Thank you to our sponsor for a special take it or leave it. These will be sort of New Year's resolutions, so they're more like statements. So you will either take it or leave it, as usual, but these are more statements. Okay. 
a resolution-y. Okay. So, so what's the official response that we give? You take it or leave it. Come on, uh, Keely. It's still take it or leave it. Okay. I just didn't know if it was, like, resolute or, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, resolute. You say resolute. Yeah, shotgun, you play along. You say resolute. Yeah, let's do that. You say resolute or yeah. Yeah, you say resolute or yeah. 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 No, whatever. Fine, go. How <laughs> about the resolute desks? Come on. No, what, like, what would you say? Like, oh, whatever. Just continue. I don't know. I hope our next next week's sponsor is no, a migraine. A migraine. <laughs> All right, let's go, Chris. Okay. First priority for the Boulevard. Get started on Keaton Slovis's Heisman campaign for 2021 and hit it hard early. I think I'm going to have to leave this one. If this was a mental thing, why add to it with Slovis? And the fact that he didn't live up to expectations coming in 2020, I think you kind of back off that. I think if he, if he comes out game one, then you go for it. But don't put more pressure on him right now. So if he comes out and throws for a lot of yards, gets a cupcake, then you want him to then start pushing for Heisman? Well, at least you're you have something to go off of. You're not going off of anything really right now. Yes, I'm taking this. Get on it early, even if it doesn't work out and it doesn't, you know, if he doesn't live up to the expectations of a Heisman candidate, you show the recruits, look what we'll do. Look what we'll do for you when you get here. You're going to be our Heisman, next Heisman Trophy winner. We just got to get you on campus. This is what we're going to do for you to, to play you up. Yes, that's you, you do it because you don't want to do what they did in 2000 and wait till the very end of the season and then try to push Carson Palmer for Heisman. That's a take it from Shotgun and a resolute from Keeley. Let's move on. Land a starting offensive lineman out of the portal. Anything less is a failure. Take it is the right answer, but what's realistic? This is like this is like setting a New Year's resolution that hey, I'm gonna lose 200 pounds, and, that's, and but you're also going to eat McDonald's twice a day. Like these are my two resolutions combined. That's not realistic. Uh, so I I don't know how realistic it is. I don't think it's that extreme. Um, so I'll leave it. I'm gonna take it. Because I do think it's a failure if you don't have a more experienced body make up for at least one of the holes that they're going to have. I So I, I think, and I think you could market it potentially well, at least easier than a running back transfer, because you at least can like hype up draft stock and whatnot. Um, and maybe, depending on timing, you could get an offensive line coach in there and sell that too. So I'm going to take it. All right, next one. Reggie Bush leads the team out of the tunnel week one. I'm, I'm leaving it. Uh, I think you're going to save that for a bigger game. Yeah, I'm leaving it too. Also because we still don't know crowd size in LA County, all that. So, Valid. so I'm just going to leave it just because everything with COVID takes way longer than we think. So leaving that one. Get through the year without a federal investigation. <laughs> oh, jeez. Too soon? Too soon? Because I feel like it's three straight years. Is this the football program? This is USC in general. Without a new one popping up or ending the existing Yes, a new one. one. A new one. Oh, gosh. I'm going to be optimistic and say take it. Ah, you dumb, dumb man. The problem, 
and I and I know I'm the the stickler when it comes to segments and phrasing, but you said the resolution should be not to have another investigation. So technically, you should take that. Whether or not that will happen, can I achieve it? Because I don't know. Uh, she crushed you on the semantics there, Chris. She did. She got me. Boom, boom. I got to take my wins when I get them. This one isn't a resolution. It's just one final little take it traditional style. Marquis Stett will be a bigger miss than Carrie Angeline. I, I'm going with Angeline on this just because I don't necessarily trust the guys in front um, at Nebraska to, to block for him. And Stepp has to be healthy. And that's been the biggest concern in his entire career is being healthy. Whereas Carrie Angeline was able to go to North Carolina State, was healthy, and should be in the league next year. That wraps up the official take it or leave it. Thank you to Moonwater Farms. Get yourself a baby scapegoat and fire <laughs> someone to save your ass. <laughs> and now we're going to run through these fun ones really quickly. Uh, take it or leave it, the Apple TV show Ted Lasso. I don't know if anyone's watching this, but this show is fantastic. Taking that ish all day. Great show. You should watch it. And I'm not just saying that because they have Akili in the show. Um, uh, take it. It's a sports show and everyone says positive things. Even though I'm not watching it. All right. The number zero. Corey Foreman will wear the number zero next year. Are we taking a USC player in the number zero? Or the number zero in general on the football field? I think I'm actually going to take Corey Foreman wearing the zero. But I'm going to leave it as like a general number. I just, I don't know yet. I might like it. I just, right now, without seeing its debut, I don't like it. See, I would go the exact opposite. <laughs> of course you would. I would take the number zero, but I think leave it with Corey Foreman. I think you want 90 and 99 together again like you had at Centennial. Plus, they're close enough together that you maybe can misidentify if you're uh, looking quickly as a defense. You're seeing guys coming in and out, and you're trying to do uh, specific things to try to – so as it's one of the biggest pet peeves when I'm trying to chart games is guys that have similar numbers that play similar positions. You're like, wait, which one is that? That type of thing. So give us an example. Uh, when Marlon Tuipelotu was wearing 51 and Brandon Peely was wearing 91, mm. you may see the one, you may not see the the extra dash in the nine. So something like that, where if you have a game plan against a certain type, uh, a certain formation or something against a player, you're like, oh, we can exploit this guy's weakness in a certain area, then that's sometimes that uh, maybe you could get away with that, confusing the, the, oppo- the opponent. The NFL broadcasted one of their games on Nickelodeon. Are we taking Nickelodeon filming N- or show- airing NFL games? I missed it. But I'm going to take it from the response that I've heard. And knowing how much of a kid conference the Pac-12 has been under Larry Scott, would we be surprised if the Pac-12 ends up on Nickelodeon? Damn. That was spicy. That came out of nowhere. Just bam. I didn't see it either, but I saw some of the highlights. I also saw, was it Sean Payton who got slimed after the game? Yes. Sean Payton did get slimed. If you're slimming a head coach, that's incredible. So I have to take it. Okay, now very quickly, we're going to run down some classic Nickelodeon kids programs from our childhoods. We're very in age, so these are going to be interesting to see what people take, what people leave. I have no idea what Shotgun was watching, but we're going to find out what his his, uh, range was on these. Uh, Just very quickly, take it or leave it, these shows. Rugrats. Take it. Big take. Watched it with my, my nieces and my little sister all the time. Hey, Arnold. Leave it. 
I take it. I like the theme song. Okay. Kablam. Leave it. I don't know what that is. Yeah, leave it's it. Deep, uh. That's a deep track. That's one of my favorites. All right, Doug. Take it. Leave it. Peppermint Patty. It's okay. It was okay, but no thanks. You don't like banana pizza? Nah. Nah, bruh. Uh, Mako's, Rocco's Modern Life. Oh, no. Leave it. leave it. Hard leave. Interesting. Okay. Our Real Monsters. Leave it because I don't know what that is. Take it. It was okay. I guess I'll take it. I feel like I'm leaving all of them. And finally, you, you were hard on the Rugrats we started this with. Yeah. And finally, all that. Take it. Take it. Though the, the right. one the one you left out that is a must take at all times was Global Guts. What? I don't know what that is. What? Come on. You're missing like SpongeBob and like some of the classics? Yeah, SpongeBob was fine. <laughs> I feel like we're gonna get some tweets about your SpongeBob take right there. I don't think I th- I don't think a lot of our listeners are in that range where they would They might be, you never know. I don't know how you guys don't know Global Guts. Is is that the, is that the uh, like that uh, American agro... Gladiators one? Because yeah. you're ten years older okay. than me, Shaka. <laughs> yeah, I I vaguely remember that one. I was like at the tail end of that one. What's the Legend of the Doom one where they'd run through the? Oh, Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> that that was a shotgun show. I I knew that for sure. You probably don't know that one, Keely. <laughs> what about the Amanda Bynes show? What's what was that one called, Chris? The Amanda show. The, the Amanda media. show. Yeah. Bring in the dancing lobsters. lobsters. Yeah. Secret Life of Alex Mack. Is that the dog one? No, that's that's the one where she could turn into liquid. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What a useful skill. And that wraps up our fun segment and the return of Take It or Leave It for 2021. I think you guys did a great job in the new year. Thanks, Chris. Guys, I felt like I was more decisive this round. Do you hear that? That's called growth. New year, new me, guys. Let's go. Visual bit. He did a visual bit. Well, it was close. You cut it to the wire, Chris, but you did a visual bit, so well done. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for the first episode of 2021, looking back at the 2020 season. We'll be back. Chris Gervino, you will join us. Shotgun's not here anymore, so I can kind of say that you're kind of like part of this podcast, but no one else heard that, okay? Hey, let's go. Uh, let's go. <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Chris. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.